Yeah, morning, everyone. I hope everybody is um, doing well. My name is Alex. I'm a member here at Christ First Watford. And this morning, we will be reading and considering one of the shortest of Jesus' parables, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, so sorry, quickly, Hannah. If I could get you to play at the end. Sorry. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, do I have a clicker? I do have a clicker. Yeah, so a parable of a mustard seed. And whilst it's a um, particularly short parable, it's actually one of the shortest of Jesus' parables, uh, I think the lessons and themes it focuses on are particularly large. And I truly believe that uh, if we are to understand this parable, then it can really transform how we view the world uh, today and help us not to grow disheartened, uh, but instead can actually strengthen our hope in what is to come. And I wasn't actually familiar with what Annie was going to share, but I think it really does tie in with a lot of what I'm going to speak about, so hopefully that will kind of be clear on what I share. So yeah, so let's uh, read a parable together. It's found in, it's found in three, three of the Gospels, actually, but we're going to look at the version in Mark chapter 4. Uh, it starts from uh, verse 30 through to 32, uh, and the words will kind of appear on the screen above me. So Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So what's the, what's the purpose of this parable? I think we can see at right at the start of the text that Jesus is using this parable to explain what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, but first of all, I think we need to answer, well, what does the kingdom of God refer to? I think it's something we read quite regularly uh, in the Gospels, but it's important to understand what we're talking about. Uh, the kingdom of God, it refers to God's reign or God's uh, kingly power and authority. And God's reign can apply to the whole world, uh, but God's reign can also apply to an individual's heart and soul. Uh, the kingdom of God is realized when God is acknowledged as king. Uh, and so if I ask you the question, uh, what would you compare the kingdom of God to uh, in nature? What would you say? Uh, perhaps you could compare the kingdom of God to uh, the ocean, something deep, vast, and powerful. Perhaps you might compare the kingdom of God to a sunset, uh, beautiful and, and awe-inspiring. Uh, perhaps you might compare the kingdom of God uh, to a warm summer's evening, inviting. Uh, but what does, what does Jesus compare the kingdom of God to? Uh, a mustard seed. A, a tiny seed, actually, the, the smallest of all seeds. And yet, despite starting small, a seed which grows into the largest of all plants with great uh, thick branches for birds to nest in. And I think in doing so, Jesus is revealing to us a mystery about how the kingdom has come and how it is going to grow. And so why do, why do I say that I think it's revealing a mystery or something that's surprising about the kingdom? Well, first, I think if we consider God's reign throughout all time, then, then surely there's a sense in which God has always been king. But there must be a sense in which God has always reigned. I think many, many passages in the Old Testament speak of this. I just have a couple here. 
Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever. Or Isaiah 37, 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above a cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And so we can see clearly that there's a sense in which God has always been king. And so the kingdom of God has always existed. So that's kind of the first sense, I think, in which we can consider the kingdom of God. However, in a second sense, we know that in, in and through Jesus, God's kingdom has come in a new way. See, Jesus came to establish God's rule on earth by saving a people and gathering uh, a people for himself who will live in obedience to his kingdom's reign. Or put another way, whilst God has always been king, this has not always been realized on earth and in people's lives. But in Jesus, God's kingdom is coming in a new way, in an unprecedented way. And we've already seen some texts as part of our series on the parables, which I think have alluded to this truth. If we consider Ben's message from last week, during which we read from Matthew chapter 12, and in verse 28, it says, or Jesus says specifically, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or consider Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of... Oh, sorry. That, uh, no, that wasn't right. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, Jesus comes and he drives out demons and the kingdom has come. And Jesus declares that the kingdom of God is in the midst of his listeners because Jesus is in the midst of his listeners. Jesus is one who is bringing the kingdom of God in a new way. However, I'd actually contend this morning that there's a, there's a third sense in which the kingdom of God hasn't yet fully come. In, in a parable of the ten uh, minors, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, it begins by saying, uh, he, uh, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Uh, we haven't got time to read the full parable, uh, but, but I think it's clear from just the start of that parable that uh, Jesus is using that parable to, to counter the idea that, that the kingdom was to appear immediately. Uh, and so I think we're beginning to see potentially some of the complexities uh, regarding the kingdom of God and its timing. In one sense, the kingdom has always existed uh, because God has always been king. In another sense, Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom in a new, unprecedented way. Uh, but in a, in a final sense, the, the kingdom is also still to come. Uh, you may have heard this referred to as the already, but, but not yet. The concept that the kingdom has come, uh, but has not yet been fully realized, or as some would put it, the, the kingdom has arrived, but its full consummation is future. Now, if we uh, take a look back at the mustard seed uh, parable, I believe that Jesus is alluding to this truth using this comparison. 
the kingdom which Jesus brings begins very small. It is not yet uh, complete, but the kingdom is growing into something very great, something glorious upon its completion. Uh, now, this may seem uh, a little bit theoretical, perhaps, but I believe that God can teach us quite a lot through it as well. So if we first consider the, the sense in which the kingdom starts small, I think this, this truth would have been scarcely believable, actually, to Jesus' audience at the time. It would have been shocking. Jesus' audience, they were expecting that when God's saviour came, the Messiah, the one to bring God's kingdom, that he would come in visible and tangible power, that he would defeat all their enemies immediately, and that their lives as his followers would be easy from henceforth. That's what they were expecting. But instead, Jesus says that the kingdom that he is bringing comes like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. And I think we see how this plays out in, in Jesus' ministry. Jesus lives a life of, of humility. Uh, he serves rather than seeking to be served. And rather than conquering his enemies with a sword, he dies on a cruel cross. And I think my next point on, about this is something I really wrestled about whether to share or not, but I feel that God does want me to share, so bear with me. But I, I feel like in, in this, there is a challenge for us, maybe even a warning, that we are uh, not to f- think like many of Jesus' original audience in thinking that the kingdom has come in all its entirety and there's nothing more to expect. Because I think if we, if we believe that the kingdom has fully come and there's nothing more, then we can become disheartened or even angry with God when we experience struggles in life. Indeed, if, if the kingdom has come and there's nothing more to come, then then why should we struggle with sin or suffer sickness or experience uh, hardships? I don't think that would make sense. I think many of Jesus' audience would have have heard him say that the kingdom was coming like a mustard seed, and maybe they would have responded by saying, in that case, it's not for me. And I implore us not not to think likewise. And I say this not to be a discouragement, not at all, but instead that we might not be ignorant. I want us to know that when we experience difficulties, that instead of questioning God's goodness, but instead we would know God is good through them. We should not expect, as Jesus' followers, to receive salvation and then coast freely towards eternity without care or trouble. Instead, we should know that the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus, but its full consummation is coming. Now, if I, if I finished my sermon here, I think you, you would probably be justified in saying, ah, that is a little bit discouraging, Alex. <laughs> However, it doesn't. And the glorious truth is that I'm only really focused so far on that first half of the parable. You see, whilst the kingdom of God does start out like a tiny mustard seed, it will grow. It will grow into a great and mighty plant larger than all of us. The growth of God's kingdom is guaranteed. Consider how the, the birth of God's people, the Israelites indeed, they began with a single man, Abraham. And God intended to bless the whole world through that one man and his family. Consider how God's great salvation plan began with, a, with an embryo inside a virgin's womb. 
And then consider how Jesus' ministry began with 12 disciples in a small corner of the world. And now extends to many hundreds of millions, if not billions of followers across all corners of the earth. And again, if we consider Jesus' ministry, whilst it arrived like a mustard seed in humility and in service, and even in death, that was not the end, was it? Jesus' story does not end in defeat. It did not end in the grave. Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended into the heavens where he reigns forever and ever. And one day Jesus' kingdom will cover all the earth. So if you, if you ever feel discouraged about church growth or the, or the state of faith in our own town or across the nations, if you ever feel discouraged about the growth of the kingdom in your own life, and, and my message this morning is be encouraged by God's promises that his kingdom will grow into the largest plant of all. Despite the opposition which the church faces or which we may face, Jesus promises us that the kingdom will grow and indeed it will grow. And how does this impact us, I guess, individually and as a church? Well, whilst we, as I alluded to before, whilst we do experience troubles and struggles on this earth, uh, the coming of the kingdom in Jesus means that we can walk through those times in the light and knowledge of Jesus and also with the Holy Spirit as our helper. And that, that is transform, transformative as well. And so whilst we at times do struggle with sin, we know that the Holy Spirit is within us, helping us in our battle with sin and working God's holiness in us. Whilst we may at times struggle with sickness, we know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray for healing and know that it is God's good pleasure to bring miraculous healing according to his good will. We can experience financial hardships and know that our God can make miraculous provision for us even in the bleakest of times. We can experience the pain of difficult relationships, uh, struggles at work even, and know that we can experience the joy of the Lord through the Spirit, knowing that even in the most difficult of times, God's Spirit can grant us a peace that surpasses understanding that can help us through those difficult times. So I think perhaps the key is that the uh, working of God's spirit and his blessings in these times, they can almost point us to what, towards the fullness of what is to come. Uh, we can think of uh, the Holy Spirit and, and his blessings as, as like a deposit or a, as a receiving of a down payment of the coming kingdom. And so whilst the, the kingdom may not, may not yet be fully uh, complete, it will be when Jesus comes again by establishing a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, let's just read these familiar verses from, from Revelation uh, tw chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so let us, 
eagerly await the time when we will dwell with God and we will be his people. A time when there will be no more tears, no more death, no more pain, for they have passed away because our King Jesus has brought a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdom is fully here. So I think it's appropriate for us to respond to this parable in prayer. If you if I kind of remember the, the most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, one of the, the verses is, your kingdom come. That's what we are encouraged to pray. And so I think it's right that we would do that uh, this morning. And so I think we can pray, pray your kingdom come into uh, specific areas. Uh, let's pray your kingdom come um, in a town and across the nations. We can pray that God's reign would grow, that more people would receive salvation and submit to him as king. And let's pray your kingdom come in regards to our lives and in our church, that God would grant us the grace that we need, that we would live lives of increased holiness and submission to God's reign, and that our joyful hope in Jesus' second coming, the party which Anya alluded to, yeah, let's pray that our joyful hope in that would only ever increase in, and, that I, I, in that, and our expectation of that would just grow ever more. So yeah, let's pray into those things. Um, Hannah, would you mind popping up? So, um, yeah, Hannah will just uh, play kind of quietly in the background. But, yeah, we just encourage us to spend a, a couple of minutes, yeah, just praying in in response to those points, let's, let's pray that God's kingdom would come. <laughs>